Hey, good morning. Welcome to Church in the Mall. Welcome home. You picked a great day to be in church as <clears throat> we are studying Acts chapter 8 and 9. Actually, we're going to be in the first part of 8 for this morning, but if you join us on Monday and Wednesday, we're going to continue chapter 8 and chapter 9, so don't miss that. Hey, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and flip to chapter 8 and put your marker there, and then I want you to get ready to go to Genesis chapter 49. If you haven't already got your communion elements, go ahead and grab some of those in the meantime. We're going to get to that a little bit later in our time today. Now, the reason we are in Genesis 49 is because we're going to learn about a tribe called Dan and where their prophecy begins with their father, Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then Jacob's 12 sons, of which Dan is a part. And so these become the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, this is really important as we begin our journey in chapter 8 today of Acts. Now, here is a picture of the... Africa in the Middle East right here. Now, let's zoom in so we can kind of see where we're going to be today. Now, this is, down here is Jerusalem. This is the Sea of Galilee. Up here is the Galilee region. This is where Jesus did a lot of his ministry. Down here is Jerusalem. This is where the Jews would come to worship. Jesus spends a lot of time down in here. Here's Bethlehem. And then there's this area right here called Samaria. Now, Samaria is important because it's a place where we're going to be today in the book of Acts. It's a place where Philip is going to go and share the good news with a group of people. But their beginnings go way back into Genesis chapter 49, beginning with the tribe of Dan. You see, Dan and his tribe founded this area, which becomes Samaria. And what's fascinating to me is that all through Jesus's time, the Samarians are not well received or liked. In fact, most Jews will go around Samaria as far as possible so that they don't have to enter through it. The reason for that is the Samarians are people who used to be Jews by heritage, but have prostituted themselves out to other nations, meaning that they have now become one with these other nations, married into the other nations, and they've exchanged their gods for the nation's gods. And so in Genesis chapter 49, it all begins and it helps to paint a picture of the backstory of what we're going to be looking at today in Acts. So let's begin in 49 verse 16 as Jacob is on his deathbed speaking prophecies over all 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel, beginning with Dan. Dan will provide justice for his people. As one of the tribes of Israel, Dan will be a serpent by the roadside, a viper along the path that bites the horse's heels so that its rider tumbles backwards. Now, in this prophecy, what his dad is saying is, Dan, you're supposed to be a just ruler, a judge over your people. You're to be a tribe of Israel, which means you are to show them and teach them that promise we made with God through our grandfather, Abraham. But instead, you're going to be full of treachery. You're going to be like a serpent sitting on the side of the road, always looking for something better, something to attack, something to cause trouble with. And your life will be full of trouble. And so at this moment, we see Dan's story begin to be prophesied of where his tribe is going to be headed. They're going to be people that are going to disown God, leave God, fall in love with other gods. And so the story goes. But in verse 18 of Genesis 49 is a beautiful verse that reminds us that there's always hope. And it says this, Jacob, in the midst of this prophecy, then says, I look for your deliverance, O Lord. So even in the midst of turmoil and struggle and strife, he's saying, I trust God that you're going to do something great in it. 
And we see stories of this redemption that even though Dan is the first tribe that turns itself to idols, we're going to see that out of the tribe of Dan comes somebody really special. You know him as Samson, and you've probably heard the story of Samson and Delilah. But Samson is a, a young man who is promised to God. And the family asked that God would bless him and anoint him and use him in mighty ways, that he would be a great judge and ruler for the people. But there are three things that they covenant with God about. Samson will not drink alcohol, he will not cut his hair, and he will not touch dead things. As we read through the story of Samson, we're going to find that he does all three and thereby violates God's promise. In other words, he didn't trust God in these matters. He decided to be his own God. And in doing so, he loses all his strength. And as he's being made a mockery before the Philistines tied to the temple of Dagon, as they are making fun of him, they are making fun of the God of Israel, saying, see, your God can't even deliver you. In that moment, Samson cries out to God and he says, God, I am so sorry. Please forgive me. God's power and might, his presence takes residence inside of Samson and he has the strength to push the entire temple of Dagon to the ground, killing all the Philistines and destroying the temple. In other words, it's a story of God's redemption, that through God, we can do all things, but without God, we really are nothing. So in this story, we find that this tribe of Dan continues on. And when Jerusalem is ruined and, and crushed to the ground and the temple is destroyed, the nations come back together, the tribes come back together to rebuild the nation of Israel but Dan is not invited. And the reason for that is because they've given themselves to these other gods. And so in protest, the tribe of Dan moves into the region of Samaria and they build their own temple, a temple to God. They have their own priests. They, they do their own thing. It's almost like the first major division in the church before the church is even made. Now, it's in that season or that history that we're going to find ourselves in John chapter 4 where Jesus meets up with a Samaritan woman at a well. Now, she's going to say something that alludes to this history of what happens. Now, in chapter 19, I mean in chapter 4 verse 19, Jesus has already spoken with the woman and he's brought out some things from her life that only somebody of true power of God would know. So he says, listen, I know that you've been sleeping with all these men. None of them are your husband. What you're looking for, this living water, is not going to be found in any of them. That thing that makes you whole, that makes you you, can never be found in someone else. It has to be found in God. So she says, well, how can I find this water? And he says, I'm going to give it to you. But in, in verse 19, she says, listen. I can see that you must be a prophet of God, that you are something special, Jesus. But I have a problem. You see, our fathers, my ancestors, worshipped on this mountain, this temple we built, and the Jews claim that the place where they must worship is in Jerusalem. So the question is, Jesus, where is God in all of this? Now, Jesus' response is so powerful, and it's exactly what takes us into Acts chapter 8. Listen to his words. Jesus declares, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. They won't matter anymore. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship in Father and in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must be 
worship in spirit and in truth. In other words, it's not about the temple. When Christ died on the cross, the temple curtain was torn in two. The presence of God comes out into the people. In Acts chapter 2, Jesus comes to his disciples and he says, listen, I need you to wait in Jerusalem. And for the next 40 days, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The presence of God will come in you. No longer will you worship at the temple of God, but you will become the living temple of God with the indwelling of his presence. Can you even imagine that? That you and I and anyone who trusts Jesus to be their Lord and their Savior, who has invited him to be a part of their lives, the Holy Spirit takes up residence, a, a promise, a seal, a way in which God now looks at you and I and says, yes, you belong to me. And so in this scene, Jesus is alluding to chapter 2 of Acts and now the movement into chapter 8. So if you have your Bibles, let's flip there and let's look at what happens as Philip is moving to Samaria. Now remember, Saul has come on the scene. Stephen has been um, martyred and now he's pushing people out of Jerusalem. He's chasing them and persecuting them. And Philip is one of them. Philip runs off to Samaria, an area he probably knows pretty well. And as he's scattered there, he begins preaching the word along with everyone else. And so in the midst of this tumultuous time, people are sharing the gospel everywhere they go. And here he is doing amazing miracles, and he is showing signs of the faith in Jesus. And all of a sudden, the people around him are paying very close attention to everything he says and does. They're noticing that with shrieks, evil spirits come out of many, and that many that are paralyzed and crippled are becoming healed and made whole. And so all of a sudden, the people are looking at this man saying, he must be the next great thing. Let's follow him. Now remember, that is the history of Dan and his people. That is the history of the Samaritans. They're always going to look for the bigger, better. And so in this case, they haven't fully grasped Jesus yet, but they're getting a glimpse of what it could be. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great and that all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is the divine power known as the great power. That means he is the power of God. So if he has the power of God, he must be God. And so the people are following this man as though he's some deity, but he's just a trickster. Philip comes on the scene and all of a sudden his miracles are bigger, better than Simon's. And so people begin following Philip, not fully embracing Christ yet. But all of a sudden, people are listening to what Philip says and in verse 12. They believed Philip as he preached the good news on the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, and they were baptized into Christ, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw being done through Philip, through the power of the Holy Spirit in his life. Now, the apostles in Jerusalem begin hearing about this, going, wait a minute. The Samaritans aren't people we're supposed to be spending a lot of time with. What do you mean the Holy Spirit is, is beginning to do a work in them? And so they send their two representatives of the church, Peter and John. And as they get to Samaria, they realize these people understand and have a lot of knowledge, but they haven't fully embraced Jesus into their lives. They haven't moved from their head to their heart. Now, perhaps many of us are that same way. You know, a lot of us grew up in the church or studying scriptures or going to Sunday school, and we may have a lot of head knowledge, but we have yet to truly submit and invite Christ to be our king. It's easy to have a savior. It's hard to have a Lord. But by inviting Christ to be our king, meaning that we look at him as our sovereign ruler of our lives, 
of our thoughts, of our decisions. We, we run things by him. We look at him as being that author and sustainer of our lives and the one who reigns supreme, a good God. And we begin to trust that what he's doing in our lives is truly for the greater good of us, not just him. And so in this scene, we have all these people that have come to great knowledge in Jesus, but they haven't allowed him into their hearts. And as Peter and John pray, the Holy Spirit does a miraculous work and people's hearts are transformed right before their eyes. Now, Simon, of course, is going to struggle with this. He's going to say, hey, I want that same power. Well, it's more than just power. If you want the power, then you're missing the God behind the power. What we want is the source. And out of the source comes everything else, an overflowing of God's love and grace in our lives and the power of God moves forth for you and I to help make the world healed and whole. But without God, there is no power. So Simon even offers to pay the disciples to have this. Peter and John, I'll give you money if you give me the Holy Spirit. And they rebuke him saying, that's not how this works. You can't buy God. You can't buy God. Now, some of us have been trying to do good things for years in hopes that we might buy God's favor. You can't buy God's favor. God gives it freely to you and I, not because of what we've done, not because of what we will do, but because he loves us. His invitation is always extended. His grace is always present for you and I to simply accept, but he's not going to force it. You have to accept it. Lord Jesus, come and be a part of my life. That's a simple prayer that anyone can pray. Come and be a part of my life. Show me who you are. Make these scriptures come alive in such a way that I know the character and nature of God. I want to experience his presence. And that's a powerful prayer. Now, what happens next is really neat. Philip's going to go on a journey and he's going to come across an Ethiopian. And that's going to have some major ramifications. He's also going to, we're going to be introduced to a man named Saul in chapter 9, who becomes Paul, who ends up writing most of the New Testament. Again, stories of God's redemption. It doesn't matter who you've been or what you've done. God's grace is here for us now. You and I can be a part of God's kingdom here on earth and that we can be invited into the family of God for all eternity. You know what? Let's stop here and let's celebrate God in our lives with communion. Go ahead and take your communion elements. I've got my coffee here and I've got my, my cookie. And I'm going to break this cookie because when we are reminded of what Christ did for us, his body broken. What we're saying is that we recognize his sacrifice as being important to us. That what he did by living a perfect life, actually, let's back it up. What he did by being God, wrapping himself in flesh, coming to earth and living a perfect life of obedience so that he never sinned against a holy God. Therefore, when he goes to death, it's an unjust death. There's no reason for him to die. You and I, we've got certainly things in our lives that probably merit a holy God saying, you can't be a part of my kingdom. But now through Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit takes up residence inside of us and you and I are now invited into the kingdom of God. We're a part of the family. So when we break this and take and eat it, we're reminded that you and I, through Christ's sacrifice, are invited in sons and daughters of the living God. Take and eat and remember this truth. In the same way, when we drink the liquid part, in our case, it represents the blood of Christ poured out. Every sin requires death. 
because God is so holy, it's like the sun. If we were to stand in the presence of the sun close enough, we would be vaporized by its power and radiance. In the same way, we would be radiated by God's glory and we would be disintegrated. But because of Jesus Christ, taking away our guilt and our shame of all the sins that we've ever done and ever will do, because his presence has now taken up residence inside of us, we stand in front of a holy God, worshiping, as Jesus said, in spirit and in truth. Therefore, you and I can enter the presence of God with no fear of being radiated away by his amazing glory. Instead, we can be embraced by his love. My friends, take and drink, recognizing that it was Christ's blood that bought us that freedom. I hope you're enjoying Acts as much as I am. I cannot wait to show you what happens with the Ethiopian. It is so amazing. Come and join us on Monday and then come back on Wednesday so that you can see this person, Saul, and how God is going to use even the worst sinner among us to change the entire world for Jesus. Go in God's peace and God's love and God's faith, knowing that he trusts you to be his hands and feet. My friends, go in this incredible knowledge of Jesus, and I look forward to seeing you this week. Take care.